Hi, I'm Ann Prisco, president of Holy Family University, and you're listening to Asked and Answered. At Holy Family University, we believe that it's our job to lay the foundation for our students and put them on a career path by exposing them to faculty experts and experiential opportunities. Our biology program offers exciting opportunities for students. Joining me now to talk about it are two of our biology faculty members, Professor Jacqueline Myers and Professor Ed Waddell. Jackie and Ed, thank you so much for taking the time to join Asked and Answered. I'm thrilled to be talking about the opportunities that biology students can take advantage of. But first, I'd love to hear about both of your backstories and what first brought you to Holy Family. Jackie, let's start with you. Thank you so much for having us talk about our program. We're really excited to get the word out about our new adventures. My story is really pretty straightforward. I always loved biology. I started as an undergraduate in biology. I went to a small private liberal arts college. I went to Franklin and Marshall College. I have a need to be in a liberal arts setting. I really enjoy that piece of education and the thought process that comes with it. So I you know, was able to get into research really early at Franklin and Marshall. I had some great mentors. I knew I wanted to go into um, a graduate program. A lot of my family members had done graduate programs or medical school or law school. So I knew I kind of had a lot of help getting to graduate school. I knew it was something that I was going to pursue. I started a master's program right after graduation. I went to Drexel University. I ended up not finishing a master's program because it's kind of a cost-saving tip. I was able to switch into the PhD program after one year, so that saves me quite a bit of money. Plus, I knew I was going to get that PhD anyway, and I sort of was able to jump in one year earlier. Um, I got my PhD. took me about five years, which doesn't sound too terrible, but <laughs> um, was kind of long. And then I graduated with my degree in pharmacology and physiology. I always had this plan that I was going to go into big pharma, biotech company. And so the next step in that process is to go and get a postdoc. So I went and got a postdoc at the Wistar Institute. You know, I really enjoyed, I had a great mentor again, working on the influenza virus and really enjoyed that research process. Here's where the plan sort of ended. I finished my postdoc. I was coming to the end of my time there and I was about to have my first baby. And so I decided to take some time and I was like, okay, I'm not going to plan the next step. I'm going to have my son um, and then we'll figure it out. So I had my son after about nine months. I was like, okay, it's time to get back to work, but I had no plan. And this was the first time in my life I didn't have a plan. You know, I'd always wanted to go into biotech or pharmaceutical industry, but I wasn't feeling as motivated to do that. I, I wanted to go back to work, but I wasn't feeling as passionate about that industry in that way. It was a little bit of a midlife crisis or <laughs> career crisis. Uh, I didn't know exactly what I was going to do. And a good friend of mine sent me this job advertisement to Holy Family. And she's like, you should consider teaching. And I had never really thought about teaching before. And I was like, hey, maybe it's something for me. So I put together my application. I sent out my one application to Holy Family. Um, it's kind of a miracle that you hired me or Holy Family hired me because I had very little teaching experience. But what I did have was a really strong passion for getting students into the biotech world. I had worked at the with the biotechnician training program. 
I had lots of connections and I was really passionate. And so I think my lack of teaching experience um, was okay and could be overlooked maybe as I started to grow and I wanted to sort of get students to that science world. It's really hard to know how to get into science if you don't have a network to help you get there. My passion for that matched the mission for Holy Family. And I think it's worked out pretty well. I've become a great teacher. I have been able to strengthen the programs at Holy Family. And we're really moving towards getting students into careers in biotechnology, medical school, graduate schools. So it's kind of worked out. <laughs> Thank you. And and you do remind me that none of you, none of us have a linear path, right? At yeah. some point, it goes sideways, it goes up, it goes down. It, you know, uh, it, it, our students want to believe that somehow we follow some very specific journey that got us there. You have to kind of tell them, no, you actually have to figure it out along the way, right? You have to be willing to try something new and something that you might not be comfortable with because you may really excel at it. Yeah. And the other thing about that is it's a good reminder to all of us that that's what happens every time we greet a new set of students into a university. They're the others. They don't know what to expect, right? So sometimes putting ourselves in a situation where we're, we're not comfortable reminds us of what we do to our students, right? They're in the same position. Ed, how about you? How did you end up at Holy Family? And you're more recent. So Jackie, how long were you with, have you been with us at Holy Family? This is the start of my 10th year. Wow, congratulations. Yeah. And Ed, I know you're a more recent contributor. Yeah, this is, uh, I'm starting my third year. So, yeah. so yeah, so I'm right along with you. <laughs> and you're not wasting any time, man. Tell us, what, how'd you get here? Yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm going to keep with the theme of, I, I really had no plan. And each step of the way just kind of went where life was taking me. And so kind of opposite of, of Jackie, you know, I, I'm the first person in my family to go to college. I grew up on a farm in South Jersey, and so... Uh, you know, when I was really graduating high school, you know, do I want to work? Do I want to work on the farm or, or, you know, do I want to try college? And I, I was like, yeah, you know, let's, let's give college a try. It, it beats working on a farm, in my opinion. So I was like, all right, but I had really no idea what I wanted to do. So I was, I enrolled at a, our, my local community college as a liberal arts major. I mean, just took a bunch of different classes. Uh, I wasn't a good or strong, I should say, uh, biology or math student in high school. And so, you know, I really just had to take a biology course as a part of my um, liberal arts, you know, education plan and took a biology course and was interested in it and just decided to keep taking them and, and just really began to fall in love more with the subject. And once I earned my associates, I transferred to Drexel University. At the time, they had a satellite campus in Burlington County, New Jersey. So I transferred there to complete my bachelor's. And that was really the first time when I started that really kind of thinking about like, well, what could I actually do for a career with a biology degree? And at the time I was like, all right, well, like I have to go into medicine because that's really the only people that I knew that were, you know, biologists were, you know, physicians and nurses and, and careers like that. So I was like, okay, you know, if I like biology, that's what I'll do. And, but once I started at Drexel, I really kind of discovered this, this other field of, of, you know, scientific research and biological research and as a part of an internship that I had when I was at Drexel, I did uh, my internship in a research lab, actually a, a breast cancer research lab at Fox Chase Cancer Center. Um, that was my first real research experience and, you know, became interested in it and decided to keep that ball rolling into my senior year of my undergraduate. I um, got involved in a, a research lab at Drexel um, that was more of a neurodevelopment, neurodegenerative 
focused lab. I became really interested in that. And the PI of the lab actually encouraged me to apply to graduate school, apply to um, some PhD programs. And so I applied to three all in the Philadelphia area. And uh, one of them was Drexel and I was accepted and stayed for my PhD. And I actually stayed in that same lab that I was a part of. So focusing on neurodevelopmental questions and um, understanding how the nervous system begins to construct itself and wire itself. And um, and unfortunately, you know, what can go wrong if things don't go according to plan. And then um, at the time when I was in grad school, I, I had to teach for funding. You know, Jackie was saying the nice part of the PhD is they they pay you, but sometimes you have to work for the university for them to pay you. <laughs> um, so, so I taught for a stipend and um, really became interested in teaching. Um, and so during my PhD, I also um, picked up my master's in education. Like Jackie, following my PhD, you know, I decided to, to do a postdoc. I was kind of torn between that. Again, I, I liked education, but I wasn't exactly sure, you know, where I wanted to go in that field. You know, did I want to stay at, you know, the college level? Did I want to have my own research lab that I want to go more into like a K through 12 setting. I'm kind of thinking about it and digging around with a bunch of different areas um, and ideas. Um, I applied for um, a fellowship through the NIH and the University of Pennsylvania and was awarded um, a postdoctoral fellowship that focused on um, training me additionally as a scientist, but more of an independent scientist, but also as a um an expert in STEM pedagogy. So I, I did my postdoc over at the University of Pennsylvania, the Perlman School of Medicine for two years. And then that led me to here, you know, when, when my postdoc was finishing up, I kind of was at the point where I knew like I, I wanted to become a faculty member. I wanted to be at a, a, you know, a more teaching focused institution. Holy Family was really the, you know, I, I like to say right place at right time, you know, you guys were looking for a faculty member and I was looking for a position and it was just kind of like that, that perfect match of being a small liberal arts Catholic school was, was really somewhere that I wanted to be in. And so it worked out really well. Yeah. Well, you certainly both reflect sort of what I think is best about our university, both in terms of your willingness to talk about your experiences and your backgrounds. About 60% of our students are not first generation, like Jackie, right? And about 40% are first gen. So it, it helps us to learn from each other to appreciate the different paths, right? And then you look back and Ed, could you ever have imagined, like, did you even know who NIH was when you were in even a freshman in college, right? How we kind of learn as you uh, go not, Yeah, right? not at all. <laughs> you just revamped the biology curriculum so that gives students more opportunities for choice and flexibility with electives and course-based research. So talk a little bit because you both talk about the importance that research did to, to sort of introduce and ignite your interest. Yeah, research is is really important for any scientist, even if you want to go to some more allied health or medical school, you know, having that research background is really important. But one of the things we noticed about our curriculum is that we didn't have a lot of opportunities for course-based research courses. We had really packed schedule. We had a lot of required courses. So we wanted to free that up a little bit so we could give more opportunity to faculty to develop these courses where they can bring their research to the classroom. And this is really important because this drives a piece of, when you talk about equality, not everyone has the opportunity to go to a research lab. Maybe they're working full-time, maybe they have a family, uh, maybe their summers are doing something else to support their families or 
something else. And so what we were finding is that not everyone can get into a research lab, but we know all of the literature tells us that research at an early point in your career is, you know, can be life changing. It can make you a better student. It can make you a better citizen. It can just drive a lot of things. So we wanted to bring research into the classroom. And so a course that provides the faculty to bring their research to the classroom. Now, instead of working one-on-one with one student in an independent study, you have a classroom of students, 10 students, 15 students. Um, They're all doing the literature reviews. They're all getting into the experimental design. They're collecting the data. And so it can be really fun for the faculty member and the students. It's giving every student an opportunity to get their hands into a research into in sort of a real way, um, not just a prescribed laboratory protocol where we know it's exactly going to happen and it happens the same every year. Um, we can ask true dry, uh, inquiry-based questions um, where the students have their hand in, in generating the data, you know, discovering something new. Jackie, when we think about how we serve our students and offering them these different opportunities to think about different job settings, and part of that is mentorship and internships, as well as the actual research we get them to do with us on this campus. So let me ask Ed now, can you speak a little bit about the importance of mentorships and internships? Yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, in, in building off what Jackie was saying with, you know, the the research experiences both you know outside of a classroom and in a classroom you know really really mentorship and internships are are a piece of the students finding their own place within you know their their growing career field or or a potential career field you know when when we think about how we can kind of project ourselves as as a student into kind of moving into a field right a lot of that is seeing people who have come previously and you know seeing what they did and you know, and a big piece of that, especially at the this undergrad level, is network. And, and you know, a lot of students don't have any sort of research network at that point or professional network. And and so, one of the really big benefits, at least in my opinion, of mentorship is you know allowing us as faculty and professionals within the field to help the students make not only the kind of theoretical connections between you know their interests and potential career pathways, but also helping them get connected to people that would be beneficial to them, you know, like looking at our department, you know, we're currently five faculty members with all very unique pathways and life experiences, right? And when we look at kind of that mentorship, there, none of us is going to fit any student perfectly. Everybody has their own unique life experience, their own pathway. But I can serve as a mentor for maybe a first generation student, but not a student of color. Right. So I can serve in a mentor in one pathway, but help facilitate a connection for a student in a different pathway within my network of, you know, scientists and professionals or healthcare professionals, you know, that would fit in that mentorship. And and, you know, and I think that's a big piece, too, of, you know, providing students with courses like the research experience courses where they have the opportunity to actually engage more authentically with the faculty members and actually build you know, a stronger relationship than just, you know, a student in a seat and a faculty member at the front of the classroom. It's much more of like an organic relationship where conversations can come up and the faculty member can truly get a sense of, you know, what the student is seeking and, and you know, what they're looking for. And, you know, and, and I feel like that fits nicely too with internship. Students 
can get that connection with our faculty members here, but then also go outside of Holy Family and engage in those, you know, yes, absolutely authentic skill building internships, but also build their, their network and their connection and their mentorship field outside of the institution as well. It takes a village to raise a child, right? Like that's the saying, you know, but but it's the same way for, you know, a scientist, right? Like, it, or, you know, a physician, it, it takes more than one person, more than one mentor to, to help someone get where they want to go. And so really providing a variety there, I think is really critical for our students. And, and being a smaller school, you know, with smaller class sizes and being able to offer these more focused research experiences I feel like puts us in a really nice and unique situation where like we have the ability to get to know our students at a level where we can serve as effective mentors to all of our students, not just a small self-selecting group of them. Eddie, I think that's such an important point. Thank you for saying it. First of all, you're both great examples of teacher scholars, right? When you're at a place like Holy Family, our commitment is to teaching and to our students, but you're also active researchers, which makes you, you know, such, such valuable members of our community and to our students. So I'm thinking about a student that I met recently, and I'm curious about if you had similar stories. So this is a young woman. I was speaking to her. For, it had nothing to do with sort of, you know, asking her about what she was doing with her life or her career. And she explained that when she started here, she thought she wanted to be a nurse and she always loved her science classes. And she took one of those like sort of personality assessment tests that we give them in freshman year. And she said, you know, I realized what the feedback was telling me was I love controlled environments. I like to be in quiet settings in controlled environments. What made me think I would be an effective nurse or like it? She says, I, but I never thought of myself as a lab researcher until I actually started doing it and realized how much I like it, right? But let's face it, unless you're in a high school that really has lots of science opportunities, most students don't really get a good taste for science, right? I mean, that's part of the issue about science at an early age for women, especially. So I'm curious if you have those questions, because when I think about the range of even top science topics we teach, right? Like people don't think about What's neuroscience? What's all these different threads that we have, even in our biology program? And so how do you even introduce students to those? I feel like a big piece of that, you know, at least of, you know, how we can introduce students to those types of things are, are application aspects within our classes, taking just chunks of content and actually highlighting the threads of how they actually connect to real world application, but also into career pathways and, and you know, very similar to that student, you know, I, I had no idea that research was even a thing until, you know, a mentor told me about it. And I was like, yeah, I'll give it a try. And, and I easily could have disliked it as much as I, I, I did like it. Right. But, but that's a good point is you, you don't know until, until you try. And, you know, and, and I think the idea and, you know, I think unfortunately sometimes you see with some students is they have this, pre-commitment to a career field that they don't really know too much about and understandably so right like 16 17 I had no idea what what a career would even entail but I I think an important piece is is following your interest and following you know what is exciting 
and what makes you excited to become a better learner, to become a more engaged learner, right? Those are the fields that should draw you as a student to them, you know, because those are the fields then that you're going to be excited about working in and passionate about working in and progressing in. And, you know, for like the student that you mentioned, you know, taking that chance and saying, you know what, yeah, I'm going to try, you know, a research lab and being excited about it. And then continuing down that pathway, I, I think is really critical. And by providing students with coursework that threads in those real world pieces, you know, giving examples of like career pathways within those topics, I think is really critical, especially at an early stage where students are a lot more kind of flexible and movable within their program of study, but, but even at the later stages, because specialization, you know, is also important. This is a huge thing we've been thinking about is how many of our students come in with this idea that they want to be a doctor or a nurse or a physical therapist because they know what that job is. And those are great careers. And we are happy to help get you to those careers. You know, in the case of your your student, maybe it's not the best career for you. And a lot of it is, you know, self-discovery. Um, and so one of the new pieces of our new curriculum is a scientific literacy course in the first year. Um, we're bringing in experts from all different fields, introducing them to fields um, where they can really see what a career might look like talking to someone who's in that career so they can visualize themselves, you know, that freshman year, there are other options. What else might be a good fit? Because the story you just relayed to us is is not unique. Students come in with an idea and they they don't necessarily know that there are other things that might be better for them. Great careers that fit their skill set fit their interests even better than what they had imagined. So, you know, it's all about tapping into, you know, a little self-discovery and a student has to be willing to discover themselves to for it to work. But we want to provide those opportunities as early as possible so then they can start to gain valuable experiences to help set them up to be successful. And that's so important because I do think whether you're a first gen in college or not, Jackie, you happen to come from a family that was involved in science. What what if you weren't? What if your fact, you know, what if your family was all English lit people, right? right? And you had a passion for science, but that wasn't something they could speak to. And I think we all realize that when you grow up, what do you know? Just the jobs of the people that you live around in your family or what you see on TV. So everyone wanted to be, you know, what, a crime detective or do um, forensics, right? Because that became the big thing because everybody saw it on a new TV show, right? So when we think about our worlds and what exposes us, you know, something I wanted to ask both of you about, we talk a lot about, you know, the importance of hands-on experiences. And then we also talk about, critical thinking. And I think we use that the term a lot. And that's one of the things we always say is one of the most, the biggest value you'll get out of a higher education is you're taught to think critically. And so I'd love, you know, either through a science lens or just a generic lens as a higher ed educator, how you think about that or how, how do you challenge your students so that you, you feel that they are thinking critically? Yeah, critical thinking is one of those buzzwords we hear a lot lately, but um, it's it's really important because content is available to us. You have a device in your pocket that can look up anything that you want to know, but you have to be able to analyze it, evaluate it, um, apply it. Um, and so those are things that 
we need to challenge our students to do. Um, I have a great example in one of my classes, you know, I was, you know, I don't want to read AI generated papers. Um, and so one of the assignments that I give them is that they have to, it's a pharmacology course, um, and they have to use rational drug design to design a new drug that doesn't exist for a disorder. And they have to provide me the theory of why their drug would work. Obviously, we're not testing these. So, you know, we get some wild ideas, but <laughs> but the more creative, the better, because the world needs creative people and using their knowledge in a creative way is something they need to practice. And um, I think that that's really important to start early on practicing all of those things. And what you just said, using knowledge in a creative way is critical, is a, is a critical thinking skill. And I remember hearing this wonderful discussion about what is imagination and imagination clearly has to be based or founded in reality or else it's not imagination. And how about you? How do you think about that in the classroom? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I agree 100 percent with, you know, with what Jackie was saying, you know, the taking the pieces and just not having it be content regurgitation, but, but, you know, application and analysis and challenging the students with actually thinking through the material. You know, one of the courses that I've taught a lot since I've started here is um, anatomy and physiology, you know, and that serves both of, you know, both our biology majors and our, and our nursing majors. And, you know, one piece of that class that, that maybe to the disagreement of some students, because it's more challenging, but, you know, is, is I don't want you to tell me how the systems necessarily work, but I want you to tell me how can you correct the systems when things go wrong, mm-hmm. right? So not only understanding how the pieces are supposed to come together to function as a whole, but but how do you correct the system once something goes wrong, right? So taking the material, understanding how it normally functions, but then troubleshooting and understanding how you troubleshoot one system without ruining the other systems along the way as nursing students or, you know, potentially future healthcare students, that's a big piece of their potential future careers is, you know, not many people are going to hospitals when everything's going well, right? They're, they're going to the hospitals when things are going wrong and they need someone to put the pieces back together without breaking them further. And so really the thing that I, I think I stress a lot with critical thinking for, for my students is, I always kind of liken it to like, uh, you know, like a game, essentially, and, and, you know, talking about people's health, maybe that's a bad, a bad way to think about it. But you know, it's the content is the rules of the game. And so if you just learn the, the keywords and the names for things and where they're located, you're, you're just learning the rules of the game. Um, but if you never play the game, then it's just kind of boring, right? Who wants to, you're not going to sit there and read the rule book for, you know, Monopoly, and then put the pieces away and call it a day, right? Like, playing the game is is the fun part playing in, you know, playing in that sandbox is the important piece, right? That's where everything kind of happens. And, and so, you know, I think challenging the students to, to think through the material, to apply the material and to really begin to understand the material at, at the deepest level of, you know, how does everything kind of interact with each other, you know? and, And then I think, also thinking with like critical thinking, but even, you know, more on the general senses, you know, this idea of, you know, scientific literacy. And, and I think this became really critical during your, you know, during and then coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic was, you know, every news station was throwing up graphs and tables and all, you know, all this data, you know, all this data. And, you know, most, most people can't read graphs, 
you know, they, they don't understand what the graph is saying unless someone's telling them that. And, and, you know, I, I think there's something, you know, challenging with that, but also a little bit dangerous, right. Of the sense of your, you know, if I throw up a graph and I tell you, it says one thing and it actually says another, if you can't read it, you're kind of beholden to what I tell you it means. And, and so, you know, the scientific literacy of, you know, just understanding, you know, not super in-depth things, but understanding the concept of, you know, thinking through something like a question, right? I see something out in the world. I have a question about it. How do I form, you know, we term it a hypothesis, but how do I form this, you know, this testable theory that I can then try to address this question? I can go and I can seek some answers. You know, as Jackie said, you know, we have smartphones and laptops and, you know, we've never lived in a time where information is, you know, more accessible. And, you know, so how do I then seek it out to then build that into my own understanding so that I can address these, you know, shortcomings in my own knowledge base that we see in the world. And, you know, and I think that's important, not only for future physicians and scientists and, you know, healthcare workers and nurses, but for, but for citizens, you know, of our society of you know, yeah. being able to go out there and see something, have a question about it and think through the problem and not just have someone tell you the answer and take it, take it at its, you know, take it at its face value. You know, one thing that I was always told, um, you know, going through grad school was be skeptical, right? Be skeptical about, about everything, right? Like, and I challenge my students with that. If I tell you, you know, two plus two is four, like make me, make me show you, make me show you why that's the case, right? Because if you just take me at my value, you know, what, what I'm saying, then I could tell you anything and, and you would believe it. And, and I think critical thinking is, is, is that, right? Being able to, you know, teaching people to think for themselves. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's a really big piece of, you know, training within higher education. And in this day and age, with social media being what it is, and there's no guardrails around what people can now say and spew out. So all the more important, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in the time we have left, it's really limited. I know one of the things we've been in conversations about is the growth, especially I think it's appropriate to say in the Philadelphia area, if not across the world, is the interest and in, we use the term biotech and life sciences. So maybe Jackie and then Eddie, talk to me, talk to all of us. I know we're thinking about new programs and why this big thing about biotech and life sciences and you know what's what is it when we say biotech for someone who may not know, we hear that term, but what does it mean and why is it all of a sudden really seems to be a very big deal right now? Biotech is in isn't new but it's certainly we're in a we're in a corridor where it's it's growing pretty rapidly biotech is using life sciences to generate new therapies so disease processes need new treatments prosthetics need new mechanisms of control um so biotech is really a huge field and it it covers lots of different um, avenues, but it's really the the understanding of the biological principles that can then be used to improve human health. It's that discovery process. It's the testing process. It's the bringing the ideas to a usable product. You know, biotech in the Philadelphia region is growing. There's careers from for every level. If you want to enter as a lab tech, you can have a great job 
right out of college, no graduate degree necessary, and you can work in the lab designing experiments, testing prototypes without an advanced degree. But you can then move on and say, okay, now that I know that I like this, you can build your education repertoire and say, okay, I'm going to get a master's or a PhD to help become more involved in that in that process. So biotech has a lot of a lot of opportunities for all different interests. Fabulous. Thank you. That even helped me since I throw that term around a lot and have to sound like I know what I'm talking about. Ed, did you want to add anything to that? Or you know what I should ask you both real quickly. Tell us about your research. What like what are you excited about right now? Yeah. So I mean my my research right now is a little bit different than you know what I've done in the past. By my training, I'm a neurodevelopmental biologist, but I've recently moved more into um, invertebrate and insect welfare. So very different for me, but something that I think is a really cool avenue of research, but but also a really kind of important growing societal you know problem that that is going to have to be addressed you know shortly. You know, so I work on an animal called a black soldier fly, and and really the whole kind of purpose behind getting involved with this animal is relating to insect farming. Um, so insect farming is currently becoming one of the uh, largest farming fields within the world. Uh, so kind of globally. And when we look at it, traditionally, insect farming has been more so for animal feed, but is slowly becoming more used for human protein sources as well. And if we're looking at sheer just numbers, right, we're talking hundreds of billions of individual you know, insects that are being farmed each year. And traditionally, at least in, you know, kind of animal research, um, insects and invertebrates have always kind of been viewed as separate than vertebrates. So your fish, your, you know, amphibians, your reptiles, birds, you know, mammals, they would be your vertebrates, insects, octopus, for example, those would be like your invertebrates. And, and so they've kind of been viewed differently, right? But we know that vertebrates like, you know, mammals can feel pain, but also suffer following pain. But we really don't know too much about invertebrates, right? We know that they can respond to painful stimuli, but that idea of suffering or, um, you know, the psychological aspect of pain is, is not really well understood in insects. And so, you know, my research is really kind of digging into that process and understanding what are the just general welfare needs of insects in within the farming industry, you know, to improve the welfare of the insects within the farming industry so that even though this industry is happening, you know, are there measures we can take to give these insects the best quality of life that, that we can and, and treat them in humane ways? Well, talk about being true to our values, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty <laughs> Jack, and, and, to, and to your earlier point, I, I never saw myself doing this, black but, soldier flies. Yeah, <laughs> n- never. But, you know, you, you go you go where it's interesting. And, you know, and, and, and I think, you know, that's a, another just talking to the biotech piece as well. I, I think that's a really important piece, too, with the biotech field is it's super interdisciplinary. And I think that's a really great draw for students, too, because it allows students to move around within things that are interesting to them um, and, and it keeps it fresh and exciting and meaningful. And you know what I thought of too, as you both were explaining, you both of your own sort of journeys to becoming the scientist you are now in the faculty is also this idea that, you know, I always say we're so lucky in the United States that we really do have lifelong learning. 
right? I mean, I finished my PhD when I was 43 years old. My family in Italy thought I was nuts. Like, what do you mean you're going back to school and you're 39 years old and you have family? It's like, yeah, because I can. And so <laughs> that's part of this too, right? We, we do have the opportunity to kind of switch it up and learn along the way and pick up the next thing. Jackie, just quickly with you, what's, because I know we're running out of time. What's, yeah. tell us about the research. I have a lot of research interests and kind of what you were saying, I'm just kind of always following the next, what's the next interesting thing? And I like to follow the students' leads. So I have three projects that I sort of keep kind of like juggling in the air as we move across time. And as the students come by, I offer them which project seems interesting to them. So I'm a neurovirologist. I'm interested in how HIV impacts the brain. I'm interested in HIV-associated dementia, and I'm interested in HIV-associated neuropathic pain. Um, and so we're using a zebrafish model to sort of understand how the virus is causing changes in the central nervous system that may contribute to both of these conditions. So that's one project. Another project that I'm hoping to build into one of these course based research projects is a project of influenza antigenic drift. So as the virus mutates or as the virus exists in our population, right, you get your flu vaccine every year because, you know, the the strain may not always match the circulating strain. Um, and so we want to know how can we predict this change in the virus. You could use the same modeling for COVID. It's just way easier in the lab with research students to use influenza. We have a mouse adapted strain, so we're not going to infect anybody, but they can make predictions on how the virus is going to mutate. Um, it's a little bit of bioinformatics, a little bit of molecular um, genetic engineering, um, and they can create these mutant viruses totally in a safe way. As I mentioned. Um, and then the last project is sort of a little bit new working in sort of the environmental field. And this sort of came up in, the, in just the last year and a half, looking at changing environmental conditions in our soil and how that might change into uh, microbials um, and make them more resistant to antibiotics. So as we put more salt on the roads, it runs off, collects in our soil. Microbes are really good at adapting, but the way they adapt is by increasing their salt pumps. And so they can get that salt out of their, their system so they can survive in these high salt environments. Um, but these are the same pumps that pump out antibiotics. So what we're finding is that as salt increases, in our environment, these microbes that are existing in the environment are antibiotic resistant. And that's a problem for yeah. future potential infections. We don't want a lot of anti, you know, uh, microbes that are antibiotic resistant swimming around just in our soil because that creates future problems. So sort of, you know, this is a whole new field for me, but I, I love exploring something new, thinking about it. And the students have really enjoyed this project as well. So, you know, we're chugging full ahead and soil salinity and uh, antimicrobials <laughs> so i i was going to ask you both why should why should students think about coming here and studying biology with you but given your answers it's like okay can i go back to school and start over and be with you guys in the lab again because it sounds like fascinating work i appreciate you both we are out of time but if anyone's intrigued and wants to learn more about our biology department please visit holyfamily.edu how lucky we are to have both of you with us. Thank you, and um, onward and upward in your research. Thanks a lot. Thank you.